If you care about the right to choose, then you got to vote. That's why in these midterm elections are so critical to elect more Democratic senators to the United States Senate and more Democrats to keep control of the House of Representatives. And folks, if we do that, here's the promise I make to you and the American people. The first bill that I will send to the Congress will be to codify Roe v. Wade. Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. 20 days until the most important election of our lives. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Biden is making it clear that abortion rights are on the ballot as early voting kicks off in many states. New polls are worrying Democrats, but don't worry and keep working. We're going to talk about effective messages to use when you are reaching out to voters. And joining us for our interview is one of the hosts of Pod Save America and author of three great books, including his most recent, Battling the Big Lie. You know him, you love him. It's Dan Pfeiffer. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. I can't wait for everyone to hear Dan's interview. Uh, He's always great. But first, Jennifer is here. Welcome, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. I'm so excited to have you here helping out as a guest co-host. Jennifer, many of you may know, she is the Way to Win co-founder, vice president, and chief strategy officer. She has a wide range of experience in communications, donor organizing, strategy development, grassroots organizing, and multiracial coalition building, all the stuff we talk about on this show. and, you know, how we win, way to win, what a, what a perfect joining of forces. She served as vice president at Women's Donor Network, worked as director of strategic communications at Citizen Engagement Laboratory, as a consultant to the Democracy Alliance, a top legislative aide in the California State Assembly, and she was a news reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for helping out. Thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be here on How We Win. And I agree, Way to Win and How We Win, doing a partnership for the last stretch here in the midterms is a great a great way to, to do it. It's, it's perfect. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, top news of the week. You heard it in our cold open. Uh, Biden makes abortion rights bill a top priority if Democrats strengthen their position in Congress. And uh, when I say strengthen our position in Congress, that means elect a couple of more senators to make Cinemansion less relevant and carve out the filibusters so that we can actually pass this stuff. Um, but yeah. a, a, a very important reminder, um, you know, November is coming. There's some people who are who kind of think the wave of enthusiasm from volunteers over the repeal of Roe has waned. I don't think so. I think uh, it is, it is, if anything, building. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great time to hear Biden say this. I am really glad that he reminded us and all voters to think about how they felt that day that the Supreme Court decision was announced because 
time, we know this about voters. Time is not our friend. Uh, people have short attention spans. And so it's really important, even though people across the country are really feeling the impact of this, it's really important to talk about it as well. And as we know, and I know we'll talk more about some of the, the polar coaster that has been <laughs> happening as well, but the media always wants to make thing, keep things interesting. And so there's been a big push to say, oh, well, we had this big surge about Dobbs, but that's going away. And now it's back on the Republicans turf of inflation. I don't I don't believe that's true. I think that it is a different kind of midterm than we've ever seen. And so the the chance to have a new story that reminds people what is at stake that reminds people this is a real contrast election, where our freedoms are on the ballot and the GOP wants to take all of our freedoms away is a good thing. So I'm really glad Biden did that, brought attention to it and hope that that those are the kind of stories that we need to keep pushing right now to keep the narrative on the point that has Republicans on defense rather than a narrative that has us on defense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's a hashtag that was trending this morning uh, and today as we as we are recording hashtag no GOP abortion ban. Keep that going um, and keep that relevant. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for uh, for Biden, man. He he is stepping up in a lot of really p powerful ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, the polar coaster. <laughs> I love that. I love that term. I don't want to get like too deep into this uh, poll. Um, and I talk about it a little bit with Dan uh, mm -hmm. in, in the interview as well. Um, but there is a, a New York Times poll and a couple other polls that have come out that um, uh, are showing Republicans gaining traction. Um, and the reason I want to talk about it really is um, is because so many of, of our activists and volunteers are very worried about this poll. They're talking mm -hmm. about it and they're sharing it a lot. They're amplifying it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, come on. We all should know better than to amplify stuff that's repressive to our voters, but um, mm -hmm. we do it anyway. What are your thoughts on this polar coaster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's important to remember when you see these different polls, you really need to dive into the details to understand how big of a sample was it? How did they actually decide who gets counted as a likely voter? In the case of the New York Times Siena poll, which definitely uh, took Twitter by storm this week, it's the reality is that when you dig into it, who they considered to be a likely voter changed between the first poll they did and the second poll they did. So it really was right. like comparing apples and oranges, which is not what you want to do. So I think the main takeaway, which you hinted at, is just we've got to stop putting so much focus on the polls and what they say or what they don't. It's a, it's one data point. It's information, we can take it. But to start to shift resources or start to think it doesn't matter, we don't need to show up based on a poll that shows a three point swing inside of a margin of error. It, I think that the bottom line is this election is close. It's a toss up. It's going to be tight in a lot of places. So we just need to keep moving. Like one of our friends, Mike Podhorzer said this week, it's the margin of effort. That's what we have to be focusing on because 
at the end of the day, it all comes down to turnout right now and how we can get the voters who want to vote for our freedoms to show up at the polls and to outnumber those who want to take our freedoms away. That's what we need to be focused on right now, what we can do to impact this election rather than feeling despondent about what different polls are going to say. The bottom line is it's a close election. Absolutely. It's close. It hasn't changed. Like, it's still very close. Uh, And again, we talk about this with Dan, but I love that margin of effort. That is mm-hmm. that is the best. I'm going to hold on to that. All of Great. these races, not even polls, but these races uh, are, are, you know, pivotal races that we're working hard on because they're so close. And, and these elections are decided. I mean, you look at Christy Smith in um, CA27 right above me here in Los Angeles. She lost her last race by 333 votes. That is within yeah. the margin of effort, everybody. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> we, we can win these races, um, uh, and uh, we should know better than to watch these polls. It's so hard. I've got I've to take 538 off of my browser window. <laughs> just, it does us no good. Unless you're a campaign manager, uh, you have no business looking at polls right now. Let's just head down I mean, and keep doing the work. It's, yes, it's helpful information, but the thing to remember is that polls make you stupid. That's 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 what you have to remember. You you take it in, you you look at it, but it just makes you it just makes you stupid. So it's Is better that, to focus on the That's what's doing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was going to say too, it's it's unfortunate and scary that it is a toss up between a multiracial democracy and complete fascism. Mm. It's 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 kind of unbelievable that that we are in this place where that is a toss up. I felt that by watching some of the different candidates debate. It doesn't seem like it should be this close, but it is. It's unbelievable and we've talked about this in recent podcasts the the support that these candidates continue to get, these Republican candidates continue to get with with all of the stuff that's coming out about them. But let's not talk about them. Let's um, talk about some of the great stuff that Democrats are doing because this is the messaging that that we need to do. Like, you know, we need to amplify these messages. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned that uh, there's some consternation about the Wayne in Roe or this perceived Wayne in Roe. I think you and I both mm-hmm. agree that that's not gone anywhere. Like, you know, um, mm-hmm. voters are still motivated by that. But uh, inflation messaging is is uh, definitely something Republicans are pushing hard on. Um, we can counteract that mm-hmm. one. I loved our friend Anat uh, coined GOP equaling gouging our prices. Um, mm-hmm. There was a bill uh, and uh, Democrats voted for it in Congress, uh, a price gouging mm-hmm. bill. Uh, not a single Republican voted for it. The Republicans say that they want to fight inflation, which is a global issue, of course, not just a U.S. issue. Uh, Biden has done uh, so much good for this economy. And then mm-hmm. we go and pass some legislation to avoid price gouging when oil companies are making record profits, corporations are making mm-hmm. record profits again, and Republicans vote against mm-hmm. it. So GOP, mm-hmm. gouging our prices. Absolutely. Republicans have done nothing to tackle inflation, and they have also made it clear they have zero plans to do so. You know, it's a challenge because people feel prices rising. It, it very much affects people's lives, and it you can't 
argue people out of their feelings. You can't tell them everything is okay. Mm. We've done all these things. The economy is just great because that that's their experience right now. They're paying more for groceries or paying more for gas or paying more for a lot of things. But what we, we need to do is not try to fight on the GOP terrain. We need to go on offense and fight on our own terrain. That's what gouging our prices does because it's giving people a story and a reason why things are this way. That's the Republicans who don't have a plan. It's the corporations who are gouging your prices, bragging about how much money they're making. And the GOP is completely enabling that. But I think that it's the Democrats that are trying to do something, trying to make people's lives better. And in point in fact, you can't argue people out of their feelings, but the Democrats have been much better for the economy than the Republicans have across the Can you slap the them around a little bit? Does that work at all? I mean, it's not arguing, but can you just take them by the collar and shake them and go, come on, man. Does that work? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe sometimes. Pelosi yeah. certainly wanted to slap around uh, the ex-president. She is such a boss lady. I felt that energy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. That was pretty amazing to watch. (laughs) So incredible. So incredible. Well, that's really important messaging. Uh, Our role in this uh, is to amplify that messaging. Um, So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. again, we talk about this a little bit with Dan. Whatever your circle is, you know, you're an influencer, whether uh, it's your small circle of friends or you have a Mm -hmm. bunch of followers, it's important that you get out there and use your well-earned trusted messengership. I'm not sure if that's a real thing, but I'm going to go with it and, uh, and spread these messages. So another tool that folks may be interested in in terms of how to share the messaging is a website called WeDecide22.com. So Way to Win was involved in putting this together with a bunch of other partners to share some of the messages and some of the creative ads that we've made that reinforce this idea of protecting our freedoms and the contrast with the GOP. And there's a section that has uh, what are Democrats for and doing and what are Trump Republicans doing. And it touches on economics and abortion and healthcare and lots of things. So that's another place that people can go to Amazing. share out. Amazing resource. We'll also have that on our show notes page for everyone to just easily click and get that good information. We decide 22.com. One other thing I want to talk about really quickly um, before we move on to our hero of the week, uh, which I'm excited to hear who you chose for hero of the week, but um, the student debt forgiveness has gone live. And uh, mm. we've talked about this a lot. It's really uh, so important, so exciting. Uh, we want to make sure that we know uh, that people know where and how they can apply. So um, we'll have a link in our show notes to this, but it's studentaid.gov. Uh, you can go there and um, and submit your application for debt relief. It's uh, $10,000 of debt relief or uh, up to twenty if you have a Pell Grant. Um, and uh, it went live and, and uh, you know, thousands of people all over our country are getting uh, much needed relief from that. Thank you, Biden. Mm-hmm. And thank you to the activists who yes. really pushed on that. I know a lot of them who've been working on this for over a decade. And so I really want to put them in the story, too. And the voters who voted for Biden and enabled this to happen. It's their victory, too. 
Look at that. Elections do have consequences, don't they? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, let's talk about our hero of the week. Jennifer, as our uh, guest co-host, um, I wanted you to pick the hero of the week. So who did you come up with? I'm intrigued. Well, I chose Mandela Barnes, who, as we know, is running for Senate in Wisconsin and has had a tough race in the last month, has been really attacked brutally by Ron Johnson and a lot of Republican super PACs on a lot of issues around crime and safety. Very unfair, very veiled racism happening mm-hmm. the entire time. He's or of not course so an American man. Yeah. Or right, not veiled, like outright racism. Yeah. Just just using crime as a proxy for race in a in a way that the GOP has done for decades. It's just getting more and more blatant. Um, And so he had a debate this past week where he was debating Ron Johnson and the moderators asked a question at the end, very typical of debates. You always want to prepare for it, which is, you know, this has been a really nasty campaign. Can you say something that you admire about your opponent? Mm. And let's be clear. Ron Johnson is like scum of the earth, the worst person in the world. Yeah. Am I wrong? And I mean, it's debatable. <laughs> he's got some competition, but he's up there. I think he's the dumbest senator in in Congress right now. But anyway. I think he's the biggest asshole. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so Mandela is perfectly poised and says, you know, he's a family man. I admire the way that he cares for his family and takes care of his family. And so then when nice. it gets time, which is nice. I mean, that that's Stand up amazing. Yeah. And then it comes time for Ron Johnson to share what he likes about his opponent. And he says, well, I, I kind of agree. He's a, you know, got a good, had a good upbringing with a, a mother who's a teacher and a father who's a factory worker. And it's just with that good upbringing, I don't understand why he hates America so much. <laughs> And then got fully booed by the audience, boo- in, which was very good to see and Satisfying, hear. Satisfying, yeah. <laughs> yes, and got ch- a little bit chastised by the moderator. But in the end, I just think, just I think I know Mandela Barnes. I've I've met with him several times, and he's a wonderful person, and he really is a leader who is trying to represent all of Wisconsin, and he's he's standing up there and and going up against a lot of really ugly brutal attacks. And I thought it was amazing that he was able to say something nice and then to be hit with that right after just kind of put the icing on the cake for me. <laughs> it's so infuriating. I, I want to laugh at it because he's such a asshole buffoon, but also it's to stand up there and be magnanimous and, uh, and give Ron Johnson of all people a compliment. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't have He's a words. Hero. I don't have words. He's a hero. Uh, let's send him I, some cash. <laughs> let's send him some cash. Yeah. All right, that's a great hero of the week, Mandela Barnes. You are our hero of the week for being nice to fucking Ron Johnson. Um, also, like you want to talk about how important it is to watch and share these debates too, right? Yes. It really speaks to the importance of these debates in showing the country who is on the ballot and what their character is. 
I have found the mainstream media coverage of the state debates to be pretty horrible. It's very both sides. It's very mm. uh, candidates clash and debate. It doesn't really tell you anything about what happened. And so I wanted to call out some local outlets who are doing really great debate coverage, including Heartland Signal is one that I've been following. Um, they have a Twitter account, Heartland Signal on Twitter, and they're pulling out these key moments and sharing the video and then enabling people to, to go ahead and retweet and share. So I wanted to put in a plug for paying attention to these debates where you can following the local news uh, online outlets that also are, are covering and sharing that out because it, it in several states, actually, not just Wisconsin, it, it, what has happened on the debate stage has been very illuminating for the race that is shaping up. And the mainstream media really isn't doing it justice. Shocker. Um, yep. <laughs> it's up to us to share these. And um, and they really do go viral. And there's a lot of important stuff happening on these debate stages that don't involve uh, fake badges. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> lots of good stuff to pay attention that was, to. That was pretty classic. That was. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's lots of stuff for you to do already. Let's talk about our to-do list. Um, of course, you know what to do. You, you need to volunteer to Canvas, write letters, make calls. As we said, we are well within the margin of effort in all of these races. We can't stop. We won't stop. Um, so uh, make sure you're signed up to do something every single weekend, any time that you can. This is our last chance. We want to walk away from this no matter what happens, knowing that we did everything we could with the time that we had. Um, also, we've got a really fun event happening this uh, Saturday, both in L.A. and New York. Um, Vote Forward's Big Send event is happening here in Los Angeles. I'm going to be there recording a live podcast interview with uh, Sarah Jackal, who is the founder of Democracy, a really cool organization that's empowering young women to get more engaged in civics and in politics and hopefully run for office. So uh, come by and say hi to the, if you're in the L.A. area. Listen in. Write some letters. There's going to be food and beverages, a performance from the L.A. Dance Project, uh, some guest speakers including Scott Foreman, the founder of Vote Forward, Keiko Agina and Kira Sedgwick, super volunteers who have both uh, done some really fun interviews on our show also. They're going to be there. DJ sets, crafting activities for kids by Momtivist, which are another L.A.-based group, friends of ours. Um, swag, all kinds of stuff. And in New York, uh, the sister event um, is going to have a uh, a soul band called Say She She. It's a female-led discodelic band. Not sure what that is. Sounds really cool. <laughs> uh, and Busy Phillips will be there. More crafting activities. So it's for all ages. Um, the link will be in our show notes. It's a link tree link. I don't know how to say it out loud that makes sense, but go to our show notes and click on it and and uh, come join us. And lastly, uh, donate to our How We Win Fund. So if you're unable to knock on some doors or do that kind of things or go write letters uh, and you have a little bit of money, like the, the candidates, they need it. We have reached 
just over $160,000 raised on our fund. I'm so grateful to everyone who has donated. We need your help to reach our 200K goal. Actually, more to the point, our candidates need help to compete against the deep pockets of dark money that is funding their opponents' campaigns. So uh, you know what to do. Go to howwewinfund.com and make a, a donation or just share that link with your friends. That's your to-do list. Let's talk about our reasons for hope. I knew this was going to be a longer episode because we've got Jennifer for the first time. And there's so much good information to get from her, and I'm excited for everyone to hear Dan. I'll start off. My reason for hope is, um, as we mentioned, early voting has started. Um, the voting started in Georgia yesterday as we're recording this, and um, both sad and happy – to see long, long lines of Georgia voters uh, in the first day, something that should not be happening in a functioning democracy where people mm -hmm. had to wait in lines that long to cast their, their ballot. And it happens uh, in you know, communities of color. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't happen in, uh, in the areas where there's a lot of white Republican voters. Um, so go figure. But uh, what brought me hope was that People were in these long lines, once again, first day of voting, showing up, and uh, and the first day turnout stats have already surpassed 2018 and uh, just about match what we saw in 2020. This is huge. I mean, you want to spend all your times looking at 538 modeling you know, scenarios and reading new polls. Knock yourself out, but watch some videos of all of these um, voters showing up and standing in line to cast their ballot, uh, hopefully for Stacey Abrams and the other Democrats in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that just gave me a lot of hope. That was really, really exciting to see. I agree. I've seen those early vote numbers, and it's definitely giving me hope to see them outpace the previous years. Yeah. For me, I think it's the activists that I know in states like Georgia, in Texas, in Arizona, North Carolina. I just hear them and see them really throwing down in this final stretch, leaving it all on the field. And that means making sure that enough voters know what's at stake in this election, what's going to happen if these Republicans win, who've been nominated, ex completely extreme candidates who've been nominated up and down the ballot in all these states. And so they always give me hope, but it, when it gets down to the wire, it's hard. People have to do more now. They have to prepare for a lot of election um you know, vote counting. They have to prepare for mm -hmm. the Republicans to lie and say that they won the election when they didn't. It's a whole other part of work that they have to take on. And so I just really honor them and um, give them give them some hopeful vibes in these final weeks as well. I love that. They're the best. Our listeners are the best volunteers, activists. This is the greatest family. It it warms my heart during, you know, some really trying times. So, yes, thank you, everybody. All right. Thanks so much, Jen. That was awesome. Uh, next up, we're going to hear from Dan Pfeiffer. I love Dan Pfeiffer. Can't wait to hear that interview.
Dan Pfeiffer is the co-host of Pod Save America and the author of three best-selling books, including his most recent, Battling the Big Lie, How Fox, Facebook, and the MAGA Media Are Destroying America. He was formerly the Director of Communications and Senior Advisor to the President during the Obama administration. Dan, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming back on How We Win. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I... I think fondly, I think fondly back upon our last conversation because not only was it a, a great conversation, um, it was the last in-person interview we did before the coronavirus locked That's us right. down. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's sad. But now we're on Zoom, and and I guess it's more comfortable in some ways. I don't know. It's efficient. Who knows? Either way, here we are. <laughs> here we are. There's a lot to talk about. We've got only weeks until um, the election. And I know you say this a lot, the most important election of our lives, um, right. which it really is. But let's start uh, with a, your great new book, because it's also about the most important work we can do to push back on the rise of fascism. and just happens to be central to the work that we are all doing here in progressive media. Um, the simplest of questions, why did you write it and what do you want readers to take from it? Sure. I, I originally, after you and I last spoke or after my second book, I sort of was under the impression that I had stopped writing books. I'd written two. I felt good about it. I was going to do something else. And after the election that was cl much closer than we thought and then had, a, had became the subject, uh, despite all evidence to the contrary, subject to dispute and within one of our two parties, I came to the conclusion that disinformation and right-wing disinformation and propaganda was an even more powerful force than I had feared. And it was and it and not enough people in the country, and certainly the Democratic Party, understood how it happened, how it worked, and had a lot of ideas for what we could do about it. So I decided that's a that's a topic that is more complicated and long that can fit into a podcast or to a newsletter. And so I thought the only medium in which you could really tell that story and really come up with some ideas on, how, on what to do about it was in a book. And even though I had been on the front lines of this for a long time, as I was doing my research, even I was shocked to see how much of a decades-long billion-dollar-funded political project this right-wing media infrastructure really was. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you wrote another book because uh, you're a great writer and you managed to make these uh, really horrible <laughs> things really fun to read about, <laughs> too. <laughs> I get <laughs> That's either a skill or a sign of being a sociopath. I'm not sure which. <laughs> what, whatever it is, whatever that says about you, it makes for an enjoyable yeah. read. Um, and, uh, you know, I think our listeners know very well how the MAGA media and uh, MAGA Republicans are spreading lies. But a lot of folks feel powerless to help. As you do in your other books, you don't just lay out the problems, but you give some good solutions. I especially love your your discussion about the perceived democratic messaging problem, air quotes for mm -hmm. listeners, because yeah. um, we talk about that a lot on our show too. Yeah. The inherent problem is actually not our message, which is wildly popular with uh, the great span of our electorate, but more the message delivery system. So – uh, how can we help build a more effective megaphone? And, and how well, can think, regular people help out with that too? So I think there are a couple of, to, to sort of put a finer point on what you said, like what we, Democrats have to understand is, I'm not, 
I'm not saying we're saying all the perfect things. We're not. And some right. people have taken my argument here to suggest I've endorsed everything every Democrat has ever said. And that's not <laughs> the case. But even if we were to come up with the absolute perfect message, the problem is not enough people are hearing it. And our party is misaligned on the challenge. We have not, we're spending 99% of our time trying to figure out what to say and 1% of our time trying to figure out how to get people to hear it. And I wrote the book to try to rebalance those scales. And so what, so what can regular people, what can all of us do about it? And I think there are two things, and I will stipulate they, they will all work much better if we can get greater buy-in from Democratic Party leadership, the mm-hmm. progressive uh, donor community to fund these efforts and to put to think about them. And I can talk if you want about how that would work. But sure. for us ourselves, there are two things we have to do. The first is people should patronize progressive media. You can patronize it with your dollars if you have them to spend by subscribing to uh, progressive media entities. You can patronize them with your attention by hitting the subscribe button. You know, I, I joke about it on, I do this little video series for Crooked Media called Political Experts React, and I always have this running joke about smashing the subscribe button. And there's yeah. a reason why that matters, because the algorithm looks at the number of subscribers to make decisions about whether to show that content to more people. And right. so Republicans have gotten that for a long time. Look at the subscriber numbers for like the Ben Shapiro's and Dan Bonchino's of the world and look at them for large progressive pages. It's not even close. Not even and, close. But then the second thing we can do is to recognize that for every time we scream about democratic messaging or the media, you know, the quote unquote political media, is that we have the power to do something about it. We all have, you know, through our phones or our computers, 150, on average, 150, 200 contacts could be our Facebook friends, Twitter followers, Instagram followers, people on TikTok, just the f- contacts in our phone. And we have the, when we say, why won't the media cover Joe Biden's uh, jobs plan? Well, we can send information about Joe Biden's jobs plan to people. We don't have to wait for the media to do it. And it requires both Democratic politicians and Democratic voters to change our mentality. I think too often we think of ourselves as the end consumer of the information we're given. And we're not. If you are a democratic activist, you are the you're the middle you're the middle person. The, you are getting this information from the politician or the media, and then it is you have the opportunity and the responsibility, frankly, to share that information with others. The Republicans understand this. Conservative media understands this. You know, to put it in perspective, Tucker Carlson's show is the most influential in on right wing television, mm-hmm. but it's seen by four and a half million people a night. That's a lot for cable TV, for sure. I mean, MSNBC and CNN would kill for those sorts of numbers on any given day, but it's a fraction of the overall electorate. But what happens is those four to five million people are taking that information and they're sharing it. They're sharing it on Facebook. They're sharing it in communication with the people in their lives, either on family group chats or text chains or just around the water cooler or wherever else. And so we have to recognize that we can carry the message. And And where the Democratic Party leadership comes in is we have to recognize that our volunteer base is more than ATMs and telemarketers. We need mm. donations. We need we need phone bankers. We need canvassers. We need all of those things, but they can also do more. So we have to ask them to do things and we have to give them the tools and the information to do it better. But we don't have to wait either. You know, all of us can, you know, we know, we, you know, we can share content. We can find content. We can carry the message. We can push back. We have the opportunity to do that. 
That's really powerful, and I hope people really take that to heart too. Because uh, I love what you said about everyone has, you know, even a few hundred friends or whatever. You know, you people don't think of themselves as influencers, but uh, in fact, we are the greatest influencers on our circle that uh, that we know. Um, we are we are the trusted messengers that so many other campaign people are trying to become, right? Um, right. And, uh, and it's, it's powerful. And, and also, yes, in terms of uh, the subscribers, the progr- uh, not progressive, but just the alternative media landscape, we are getting our asses handed to us. Um, thankfully, Crooked Media is doing an amazing job. You're at the top of the charts um, and, and fighting that fight, but you can't do it alone. And, and so I've been really... Uh, excited about a lot of the work that we've done with groups like MSW Media, which is our our platform, Muller She Wrote, and the Midas Touch guys and all that, like joining forces to amplify each other's content so that we do smash those subscribe buttons for each other. And, That's right. And build That's that absolutely up. right. Well, uh, Let's talk about the election now, because um, <laughs> we do have <laughs> a pretty important election in a few weeks. Um, yeah. And I want to talk about... Uh, uh, you may or may not know this about me. I hate talking about polls. I don't like yeah. talking about polls. And no, no one should. No one should. But people are kind of freaking out about this recent New York Times poll that shows a shift in support of Congress. Of course, the New York Times often likes to get people riled up in the most unhelpful of ways. And this is an outlier poll with some kind of dubious uh, – uh, stats for a number of reasons, but it does belie the larger question of how the media can put their thumb on voting enthusiasm, uh, because we know that when people f- see a poll like this, it actually represses the vote. It makes people stay home. So how important are polls right now in general with, with weeks to go? Does it change anything meaningful about the work we have to do to win? No, it does. See, I think I'd say a couple things, and there is some dispute within uh, sort of democratic circles about how we should think about polls in the in terms of GOTV, because polls can do three things. They can make people complacent, they can make people depressed, or they can remind people that we have a lot of fucking work to do. And that's how I would look at this New York Times poll. And no one should take any one poll too seriously, but I think if you look at the bulk of the polls, you look at the how where the money's being spent, how the money's being spent. You look at the the messages from the campaigns and the body language of the campaigns. Here's one thing that I think is is absolutely without a doubt is this race has tightened up. It's into, and it is going to be it is very very close in lots of places, and it was always going to be that way. It was never Republicans are never going to win by a ton like the polls look like last year and early this spring. Right. Democrats were never going to cruise to victory in these states like the polls may have looked this summer. John Fetterman was never winning Pennsylvania by 15 points. <laughs> Raphael Warnock was never winning by five points. The, like that was never going to happen. These races are all happening in states that were decided by a point in 2020 and a point in 2016 and a couple of points in, 20, in 2012. Most of the, the, the Senate will be decided by states where the final margin was less than one half of 1% in 2020. So we have reverted to the inevitable mean. So I, the right. way I would look at this poll, at this poll or any other poll is we can win and we have three weeks to go win. Whether the, what the polls say, whether the polls say we're winning by a little bit or losing by a little bit should not in, change anything that anyone is going to do. It should be a reminder that we have, we have agency here. There is a, in, in the country and in the states that are going to decide this 
the Senate and the House, there is a progressive, pro-truth, pro-democracy, anti-MAGA majority. And it's we just have to turn them out. And if we turn them out, we will win. And if we don't, we will lose. And that that's the math, no matter what Nate Cohn or the needle or some other Nate says to us. <laughs> I've really, uh, like, I should know better. I've, I've worked on enough campaigns to know that at this point, I need to just shut off those models and just keep my head down and do the work. But it's hard not to look at them. But as you said, yeah. these are all within what uh, we are lovingly calling the margin of effort right now. Right. right. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of the margin of effort, I know you and the pod Save America guys all are super busy and, and, and help out with campaigns a lot, uh, especially as it comes up to GOTV. Uh, where is your focus in these last few weeks? I, I sort of two, a couple different places, um, you know, obviously focus on the Senate, um, and those key states there, but very, very interested in trying to help out and draw attention to the down ballot races, particularly the Secretary of State races mm-hmm. uh, all across the country, but in Arizona and Nevada in particular. Yeah. They're going to be incredibly close. And you have uh, election deniers on the Republican ticket who have basically run with the promise to uh, keep votes from being counted. And then, you know, we there are House races that are very well within the margin, and whether we keep the House or we lose the house by the, I, we have the ability to keep the house. And if we can, you know, if that happens, that is huge. But if we lose it, there is a, ma- a gigantic difference between losing it by a couple of seats and losing it by a ton of seats, a couple of seats. And we have the opportunity to go and get it back in 2020 for, because the, the, the house map now has more seats that Joe Biden won than Trump won. Hmm. And so when it, with presidential year turnout, we can go it back. If we lose it by 40 seats, uh, you know, like we did, we like we won it by in 2018 or 64 seats, like Republicans lost it or 63 seats lost it, won it in 2010, then it's going to take us a very, very long time to get it back. So there's, we like, there, everyone asks me like, where should I focus my energy? Where should I focus? There is no wrong answer here. Right. We got to win everywhere. Pick the race you're passionate about, pick the, the volunteer event or the phone banking that fits with your schedule and, uh, and dig in. So I was pitching, um, obviously, uh, last week we had um, Senator Cortez Masto on our show, and obviously Nevada is uh, a super important uh, race, yeah. pivotal to holding the Senate. Um, and uh, I had a great pitch to my wife this morning, um, going mm-hmm. out and canvassing in uh, Las Vegas, and uh, Silk Sonic is doing a residency there. Too, so we could go mm-hmm. well, see. Go. We could yeah. go see Silk Sonic and help save democracy. Uh, what a great weekend that would be, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can get out to Vegas and you can catch a, you know, canvas tour. You can't canvas at night, so you might as well canvas during the day and catch a show at night. You may as well see Anderson Park and uh, Bruno yeah. Mars at night and save yeah. democracy yeah. by day. Come on, yeah, it's, it's, that, I mean, it's, it's hard. That would be hard to turn down. <laughs> um. You mentioned uh, all of the MAGA Republican election deniers running all over the country. There's over 300 of them. And um, we know the, res- the whatever the results are, it's going to be really close. Um, I kind of I kind of don't want to go there with this question right now, but I think it's important that we start thinking about this. Um, how do we prepare for the hundreds of little wannabe Trumps refusing to accept the results if they don't win? Well, I, I mean, I, I think actually, um, you know, an ounce of prevention goes a long way or whatever the saying is that we can prevent that from happening right now. Right? We just win these races. And the if we're going to prepare 
so I, it's like I'm almost hesitant to get into the view of what 2024 looks like if these folks win because I'd rather just beat them in 2022. Yeah. But I think no matter what happens, we have to be prepared for the fact that the Republicans can do everything they possibly can to ensure the Republican wins no matter what the voter says. And we and I and the way in which they go about that insurrection is going to be very different than the last time. It is this is not going to be about the vice president or about like what happens at the Capitol or anything about that. It is what the Republicans realized is the reason they could not overturn the election is because when the votes were counted, Joe Biden was ahead. And so what they're going to do now is not try to throw and there was so they, they tried and failed to do because it's very hard to do is to throw out already counted, already certified votes. This time they're just going to stop the votes from being counted. And so that's going to mean that all of us in this election and 2024 have the opportunity and the responsibility to, you know, run for office to, for, for some of these local positions like recorder of deeds, to be poll watchers, to right. be advocates, and to try to protect the integrity of the vote because they're going to be trying to throw them out. And I am, as someone whose first uh, major political experience was working for Al Gore in 2000 and spending, mm. you know, 37 brutal days in Florida at the end, I know how this works. I know how, no matter what the integrity of the election is, if you come out on the bottom side, you almost, you almost know the, the results almost never flip. And so we have to ensure that every single vote gets counted and that's going to require investing and organizing, volunteering to be poll watchers and uh, supporting legal efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Poll watchers, poll workers, like there's yep. uh, extreme intimidation. And uh, as we all know, uh, poll workers tend to be older. And um, and so younger people need to step up and and, and take on that role. Um, and, and yeah, it would be nice to... Uh, It'd be nice to overwhelmingly win and, and you know, uh, make it harder for them to cast out on it. But uh, I, th yeah. I think it is going to be close. And when we look especially at, at um, House of Representatives, it's going to come down to a couple of seats. It's, you know, yeah. it's really every seat's going to make a lot of difference. So that's kind of dark. And the other thing, um, we're going to have some close races that uh, will have a legitimate cause to call for a recount and stuff as well. Um, and that's going to – this it's going to be a little messy. So, yes, let's uh, let's get out there and do everything we can to make sure that it's a clear victory. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question. It's the question yep. that we uh, always end with. Um, what gives you the most hope right now? I mean, it's obviously people, right? It is that for all of the cynicism and doom that pervades politics is that there are millions and millions of people who have taken upon themselves, particularly since 2016, to step up and even under the toughest of circumstances, fight like hell to change their country in a better way. And they didn't wait for anyone from Washington to tell them what to do. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't asked to do it. They just did it. And they did it in 2020 under the most difficult circumstances possible, locked in their home, dealing with a massive recession, kids out of school, trying to figure out how you were going to keep your family safe and healthy, and still found time to volunteer, phone bank, text bank, do everything they possibly could, give $5 at a time in which they didn't know where their next paycheck was coming, to ensure that we sent a message about the dangers of MAGA extremism. And that, that like, we... We have the ability to, we are in a fight for the future of this country and we have the absolute best people fighting for it. And that's what gives me hope. Me too. And I'm grateful for all the work that you do, Dan, uh, and, uh, and really appreciate you and, and all the guys at 
uh, and crew at Crooked Media and Pod Save America for everything that you're doing. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at Jen and Kona, and at Blues Boy Steve. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. There's always work to do, so Jennifer and I will both be back with some more next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.